Good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks. We're going to be in Colossians, if you would open up there. If you don't bring a Bible, I would encourage you to bring a Bible. There is a Bible app in our church app. Uh, there's also a Bible underneath the seats in front of you. And if you use that one, I can just give you the cheat. It's page 983, because I have to say page numbers. So, it's good to be back. Honestly, it's good to be back. Uh, you guys were incredibly encouraging during that time. For those of you that I saw or ran into or talked to, or uh, just understanding that, you know, the pastors never clock out, right? And that there's just, there's some, just sometimes you just need to kind of just get that space to get caught back up and, and even be intentional about my time with Lisa, about my time with God. Just nothing was wrong right, going into it, which was great, but just needing that space to be out in front uh, as kind of a, a leader here, just to be in that place, and so spent a lot of time out journaling, praying, more than I, I probably have done in the last years put together. We'll hear lots about that as the days go. One of the things that really was clear to me on my last week, which was just last week, right, not this last week that I was in the office, but just prior to that, I remember I was walking at the beach, um, and I, I was just praying, and like, okay, I've got all this stuff, like, I'm looking for step one, like, where do we begin, like, what's, what's step one, what's step two, how do we prioritize, where do we go, and God just really clearly said, listen, just spend some time listening, so I did my best, I was in here, it was a long day on Monday, my first day back, but I got to hear out, well, just talk to all the staff and listen, uh, I did probably more talking that night at the elders meeting than I wanted to, wanted to listen more. Uh, but really just where are we and, and what is everybody else hearing, right? And, and our elders led uh, incredibly in, in that space. Our guests that came did great. Uh, and you know, I discipled some of them. Some of them are the people that they discipled, and so I feel connected to them. Some are churches and partner churches that we know, like Imago Day with Daniel Jansen, uh, Encounter, who will be our partner again after we beat them today. Please, Lord Jesus. Right, so, uh, you know, P.J. Tobinan at Bethany Baptist, uh, we partner with them. One of the cool comments I got was, we got to see kind of that we're a part of something bigger. And that was cool. Uh, last week, Tim Gilman was here, and uh, Rookie as he is, could only cover 10 verses, and so what we're going to do, since I'm going to finish the book of Colossians with you, is we're going to go back, I want to read the introduction really quickly, and then I want to summarize some of the things he said, and then pick up where he left off, and so absolutely teasing and joking about him, uh, but I want, as we teach the book, right, I want to I catch where Paul began and why what Tim said last Sunday was so important and how that contributes to today. So let's pick up one uh, in Colossians 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brothers, so Paul and Timothy are together at this point, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up in you, laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, 
as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul is writing to a local church in a city called Colossae. So we call it the letter to the Colossians, right? But it's a letter, if you saw, to the faithful brothers. That's Adolfoy, right? That's the brothers and sisters. It's the, it's the plural that means all, right? They don't have a real good southern word like all y'all, right? But like that's to all of you, faithful brothers and sisters at the church, right, in Colossae. So says he and, and now he and Timothy are going around and they're starting churches and strengthening churches. That's what they're doing. So they'll go into an unreached people group and they'll share the gospel and then they will lead them to faith and baptize them and then disciple them and raise up elders and hand off churches and then go to the next one. In the meanwhile, they're writing letters to areas that they're connected to, like he's never been to Colossae, but he is connected to them through Epaphras who's been there who helped start that church. And his letters exist to strengthen the church. And so he's writing to the church. If you look at almost all Paul's letters, and I'll give you the three exceptions, but all of them are to churches, right? To the church in Rome, right? To the church in Colossae. The exception is when he writes two letters to Timothy and one to Titus, right? He's writing to leaders of churches, and those are different. But he's writing to the churches to encourage the churches. And he has a home community he's currently with. Timothy is a part of that. And he talks about them praying for them. Kind of like we just did with Imago Day and Pastor Daniel Jansen. Just praying for their needs. Like we want to pray for those outside these four walls. Not just our community, but those that we partner with because they got the same gospel we do. Right? They're in the same mission we are. Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice the focus. He's saying, I'm, I'm right as to you and we're praying for you that your, your walk with God, your, your, your life in Christ would increase, that you would mature in your faith, that you would Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Notice, not walk in a way that's better makes you happier. See the difference? You would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, the grace that's been given to you. As God has done something so amazing to us in the gospel that it is the desire of Paul that we would walk worthy to the gift that we've been given to walk worthy of the message that's been entrusted to us. And yes, in that, we will find our fulfillment. But when our focus is on us, we often lose sight of God. When our focus is on God, what we need flows naturally into that. He says, being strengthened with all power, verse 11, according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance and the saints of light. Paul says he and his church community are praying for the Colossian church, particularly for endurance, as they're evidently going through some things, right? We know what that looks like. We go through some things, right? That we sometimes uniquely have issues in our area. Maybe 
As we've been hearing on the news, like I just think back to the Uvalde shooting. You know, local communities suffer sometimes differently or impacted differently maybe than we are, and we can pray for them. You know, we've heard of church shootings and, and craziness in the world. Then there's other times like a pandemic that affects us all. Maybe it affects us all differently, but affects us. So Paul simply says, hey, meet Timothy. We're, the church community we're part of now, we're praying for you, and we're praying for endurance. Verse 13, he says, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul reminds us that God has rescued us from the effects of sin and death in this world. That God has transferred us from darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, into light. His emphasis here reminds us that it's God's doing, therefore you can trust it. It's not your doing, therefore it's tenuous and maybe and I hope I get it done, right? But it's God did it. Like you're in safe, good, capable hands because God has transferred you. God upholds you. And this is where Tim Gilman picked up and he gave us nine things. I'm just going to give us a few that he said. One, and, and the emphasis was understanding who Jesus is. That's the beginning of it all, right? Understanding who Jesus is, is really the beginning of our walk with Jesus, following Jesus. I don't often use the word Christian because it's been so watered down today to mean I was born here, I'm not an atheist or, atheist or a Buddhist, so I must be a Christian, right? Really calling ourselves Christ followers. I, I, Christian's a biblical term, don't be wrong, I'm not knocking it. Just saying, I, I want to be clear it's not what we're not. It's not that we celebrate Christmas, but that we're followers of Jesus. So knowing who Jesus is, is really the critical starting point. Who is Jesus? So Tim gave us some things. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God in human flesh, so we can see what God looks like, acts like, would say to us if he were standing here. Jesus is the creator, and he rules over all creation. Don't be confused that Jesus came 2,000 years ago as if he began. He came in flesh 2,000 years ago. But he is the creator of the universe. He is God. God who became flesh. Jesus has no beginning or end. He is creator, and he rules over creation. Jesus is eternal God. Again, no beginning, no end. Jesus is the head of of the local church. Whether I say I'm the lead pastor or the teaching pastor or the senior pastor, whatever, it, that Jesus is over me. And, and if that ever changes, we're all in trouble. Funny, but, but true, right? If Jesus is not leading and it's me or our elders or our staff or Yvette, God help us. Right? If it, anyhow, so, no, no, but I mean like, but uh, she left so I can do that. Um, if it's anyone other than Jesus, we're doomed, right? Jesus is the head of the local church. Now, don't confuse this. Is Jesus over everyone who ever believed? Yes. But that's not what we're talking about. When the Bible calls us the church, it rarely, rarely ever talks about like the universal church, meaning everyone who ever believed past, present, future, True believer. It's not talking about that. It's typically talking about a local body, almost always. And even here, it's saying Jesus is the head 
of the local body in Colossae or at Generations. That he's the head of the local church and he sustains it in his power and that Jesus is the living Savior. So all that, just to kind of, that's our intro, that's where, that's where Tim left off and got us to this point focusing on Jesus. There's a group of leaders in a church praying for another church, writing a letter to encourage this church that they will endure in their circumstances, and then begins to remind them, listen, it was God's work that you're here, and that the emphasis is Jesus. These nine statements Tim gave us about who Jesus is are all focused to remind us, to focus us in our faith. So we'll skip down to verse 24, but I'm going to give you kind of a main idea today. So Paul writes to the Colossian church as a body, we'll put this up, there it is, about their need for one another. We too need one another today in our church body to grow in Christ. There are lots of false beliefs about this. There are lots of beliefs that, that you can be a Christian, just, you know, you can run off with you and your Bible into the wilderness and you're fine. Again, scriptures almost exclusively written to churches. Paul is writing to the church. We're going to get to Revelation by the end of the year. It is written to seven churches in Asia Minor, two of which Jesus has nothing nice to say about. But still he is revealing himself through the church, even broken and flawed churches, of which we all are. It's about the body. We're designed to grow in a body. That the body is a metaphor. If my thing was, finger was cut off and left over here and we found it, hope that never happens. I hope we find it if it does happen. But we don't walk up and go, there's Jeff. That's Jeff. We would likely say that's Jeff's finger. Right? That's why you're not the church. You, plural. As we gather, we are the church. I'm not the church. You're not the church. We are members of the church. We're part of if you are in Christ, you are part of the church, the local body here. Now, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're trying to figure it out, maybe you don't know Jesus yet, all those things, great. For those of you that are in Christ, and this is home, we are members of one another, and that is the design. Verse 24 says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, there's a confusing line. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We miss some things in English sometimes that are less clear. We have to figure them out, right? He says, I'm filling up what is lacking. What is lacking is in him. He is lacking. I am filling what up what is lacking in myself in Christ's afflictions. Christ's afflictions are filling me. Right now, Paul is suffering and enduring also. Just because he's writing to another church and praying for their endurance doesn't mean he's having a great season of life. Paul, as he is out planting churches, doing that, is constantly being arrested, beaten, chased out of town. And as he hands off this to elders and leaders in a church and he goes to the next town, these other people are coming in and destroying his work. Like he's in this constant cycle and eventually... As he lands in Ephesus, he will be arrested and taken all the way back to the Roman chains where he will die for his faith. So he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in him 
through Christ's afflictions. And, and what he's talking about is, is we typically say how the gospel applies to us. What Christ has done, Christ's work, his incarnate life, his sinless life, right? His substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection, his ascension, pouring out his spirit on us and his hope and promise and guarantee in his return, how that applies to us. See, it's in that moment where Jesus is betrayed and he is suffering and he's being beaten and he's going to the cross and the people that he came to save are shouting for his death and his 12 disciples, one of which betrayed him, most of which abandoned him, understands affliction. And yet Jesus endures that affliction sinlessly, victoriously, righteously, you see, that gospel, the work of Jesus, that gets to be applied to us in Christ by the Spirit. And Paul's saying, I'm filling up what's lacking in me because Christ endured. It is Christ that is strengthening me. It is Christ's work that is equipping me to continually face each day. If he was in his own strength, he's like, I'd quit by now. But I'm filling up what's lacking because Christ is sufficient. Now listen to what he says. I am filling up what is lacking for a particular purpose. It is for the sake of his body, the church. So we talk about body. It's a local church. It's a metaphor. It's a common metaphor that Paul uses. At minimum, he uses it in three books. Here, I'm going to show you something in Ephesians in a minute. And clearly in 1 Corinthians 12 where he expands on that a lot. I am doing this. I am enduring. I am being filled up, but not for myself. For the sake of Christ's body, the church, the local church. So I'm going to put this on the screen. Paul writes that he is part of a body, a local church, and his life and faith directly impact others. He is being strengthened to benefit the body. He's not unclear. I do this for the sake of the body, the church, Christ's body, the church. Right? The local church. He's a part of a church. He's writing to this church. He's not being ambiguous about like just generic Christians everywhere. But for the church, his life has an impact on others. Your life has an impact on me. I'm to impact you as we participate as a body. So starting the second half of 24, just for clarity, for the sake of his body, that is the church, verse 25, of which I became a minister according to stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, meaning Jewish Israel, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul writes a lot using the language of the mystery of the gospel, or the mystery. There are exceptions to this where he'll say the mystery of maybe the resurrection or something else. There's exceptions, but almost always. When Paul writes about the mystery of the gospel, it is that all are included in the same gospel. Now, we've got we to step out of our time, kind of replug back in 2,000 years ago to understand this, and then jump back out and figure out, okay, well, how does it apply to us, Right? And so this was a very Jewish message. It was a Jewish savior named Jesus who was oddly killed by Jews, but had Jewish disciples, including Paul, who comes along a little bit later, 
right, who are sent out with a message for the whole world, right, that, that God is reconciling the entire world to himself, all ethnicities, all people, all income brackets, all through the same way, through his son, Jesus, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He says it very clearly in Ephesians 3, so we'll put this up. He says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, notice the consistency in language, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery, the mystery that I'm always talking about, Paul says, is that Jew and Gentile, which means Jew and everybody else, anybody who's not Jewish, right? It's like middle-aged white guy and everyone else, whatever, right? Like just, there's two categories of them and everybody else, right? Jew and Gentile, male and female, black and white, whatever you want to do, right? But it's everyone, Jews and everyone else. The mystery is that we're all reconciled to God through Christ, not just Jews. That's what he's talking about. See, the people that would come into the church after he had left and try and pollute the church would, would undermine this part of the message, that the gospel is not the same for everybody, that the message of reconciliation and joining the community is not the same for everyone. Now, fast forward 2,000 years to kind of the east side of L.A., here, greater Long Beach area. We don't struggle to believe that if you have a different skin color than I do, that the gospel is different for you. Like, we get that. We live in a diverse area. Our church is fairly diverse. And so we understand the same gospel applies to you as it does me. Or if you make lots of money and, and someone else doesn't, or if you come from this neighborhood or you come from that neighborhood, or, you know, you didn't make it through school and this guy's got a PhD. If we all understand the gospel's for all of us. Here's our problem. Here's our flaw with the mystery in the gospel. We don't know that we need one another. We don't think that the people next to us, we need them. Sometimes we have a pretty low view of ourselves and what we contribute to, and we don't think that others need us, right? You need me, and not because I'm a pastor, uh, because I need you too, right? We need one another in order to live in the way that Jesus commissioned the church to live, to be a body, right? First Corinthians 12, one body, many members, and he just goes on, listen, if everybody was an ear, where would vision be, right? If everybody was a hand, how would you get anywhere? That's the idea. We need one another. Again, back to the example, I'm trying not to lose any fingers. I've got 10. I want to I die with 10, really, right? I don't feel like they're spares. But we treat each other like you're a spare, or maybe they're a spare, that's not the biblical gospel, and that's not the fulfillment of the mystery of the God. The mystery of the gospel is that we are saved together to a community. One image of that community is called a body, so that we would understand, because none of us think we have spare parts. We may donate a kidney if there's an urgent situation, but we don't feel like it's a spare. But we don't live that way. We don't treat one another that way. That's our issue with the mystery of the gospel. They treat it like they need another gospel. We get this the same gospel. We just treat it like you don't matter to me. That I don't need you. There comes a point in time where I don't need the church. I can just, and listen, we often start that way. We're fighting American church culture more than we're fighting American secular culture here. Because church culture today is, 
if I just go to Sunday morning service, I've fulfilled what I need to be a Christian. I'm going to tell you that is patently false. This is not, and this is not, this is the gathering of the church. This is not living out your faith. And this is not being the church. And if you're live streaming with us today, we're super glad you're here. We're glad you're able to join us. But that's not attending church. We hope that if you're able, you will attend church. Live streaming is watching us attend church. And we hope that leads to a next step of joining us, of being here. If, if you're local, if you're healthy, we want you here. We want to be with you. We want to do, we want to do life as a body with you. See, we've lost that. COVID strained that, and we were already not good at that. So body, he's telling us about a body. We belong to a body. That the mystery is that we are fellow heirs, partakers of the same promise in Christ through the gospel. Verse 28. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Notice there's warning, there's teaching, right? There's going to be encouragement, there's going to be correction, all kinds of things. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, Paul says, I toil, struggling with all his energy. Notice what he says. I, Paul, struggle, toil, work with his energy, Christ's energy, the energy of the Spirit in me, that he powerfully works within me. And so he said, listen, I struggle, but it's not my strength. I'm a part of a body, a gospel community. And the spirit that lives in me compels me. And I care about your body, your local church. I'm writing to encourage you. See, the gospel is this, that God created you and loves you and designed you. And it's in that design that God says, listen, I know how you work. As we read through those opening pages of creation, God separates the light from the darkness, calls one day and one night, and he says it was good. He puts life in the air, in the sea, and on the ground. He says it is good. He creates humanity. He says it's very good. We are the crown jewel of creation. We were the point. We were the, the whole point. But then God says it's not good that man is alone. The first not good is that the man was by himself, right? That doesn't just extend to a local, you know, nuclear family, though we love the nuclear family. But it means we need to be a part of one another. That we are designed to be in community, just as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist eternally in community. We need, we are created for we will not survive without community. See, the gospel is that sin entered into human history and began to destroy what God created, and that, that sin has been passed off generation after generation after generation. And as we come along, we jump in and add to the sin in the world. We also inherit the sin of the world. And I don't mean just in a, like we inherit, you know, a political problem, but I mean our DNA is broken and corrupt. Last message I did before leaving was Ephesians 2, that we are dead in our sin. What can dead people do? Nothing. Good? Okay, good. We do remember. All right. 
God must make us alive. Like we're dead, we're broken. So Jesus comes, God becomes flesh. Fully God, fully man, a mystery for sure. And lives the life you and I are called to live, but we don't. And, and, and in fact, I don't mean just like miss the mark. I mean like we choose not to, totally. Even as Christians, we know we choose not to. And he dies to cover our sin. He lays in a grave that we might know our penalty is paid, but he also resurrects from the grave to give us hope and life. That he ascends to pour out his spirit in us, that we might become like Christ to our community. We can only do that when we gather as the body and live this gospel out so that we can take Jesus to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our schools, to whatever. That we do this thing together. In Romans 12, it says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You see, to look across the room and find somebody who looks like not you and someone you probably wouldn't go hang out with and figure out, hey, I'm members of you and you're members of me. That's what Paul's saying. He's not unclear. It's not like this is reading into it. And this is repeated. He's talking about the same body in Colossians, in Ephesians, in 1 Corinthians. It's not like he doesn't repeat this over. You're members of one another. You need one another. You cannot do this without one another. Yet we try and do it without one another. We try and fly solo. I'll talk to some of you and yeah, well, things are just really hard right now. I want to get into a community group, but things are just really tough. Like, that's backwards, right? Things are really tough. Now you need the community. And communities are wrapped around you. You're trying to do this alone. Colossians 2, verse 1. For if you want to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face. Now, Paul adds another local church, the one in Laodicea. He says, I struggle for you, for them, I know you guys are both hurting, right? So he notes another church. Notice that there are different churches, different bodies. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. I want to pause there for a second. Who is Paul saying needs to be knit together in love with whom? No. So who is Paul saying needs to be knit together in love? Somebody. The church. I don't know who said that, but you get a gold star if I had one. You're a kindergarten teacher. You get a gold star? Thank you. All right. That the church in Laodicea needs to be knit together in love. The implication is the church in Colossae needs to be getting knit together in love. That we need to be knit together in love. How can you be knit together in love with someone who lives in another area of the world? You can't. Local body. We always get too big. And the reason we do that, we get big when we see the word church, is because it exempts us from diving deep here. You with me? I'm a part of the universal church. Tell me, how's that working out? How do you bear with one another in love with those in Kenya? Now, maybe it's a good example. Maybe you send money or have a relationship. But then let's go to the Coptic church in Ethiopia. How are you doing being knit together with them? Well, you're not, but you can't be, because that's unrealistic and not what it's saying. 
We can't really even be knit together in love with Encounter Church. We can maybe after the game, but we can't really, really do that. We don't spend that kind of time with them. Listen, I baptized their lead pastor and discipled him. I am knit together with him. And I know the church, I've worked with them a lot, but I'm not, this is my body. This, Christ's body that I'm a part of. Knit together in love. Paul's saying they need to be knit together in love. Lay, they to see and by implication, us and Colossae, right? Verse 2, we start there. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdoms of wisdom and knowledge. Here's a note for you. In order to gain all the riches of the gospel that Paul is talking about, you must be knit together to one another in the local church. In order to obtain what the gospel gives, you must be knit together. We must be knit together in love. Here's our flaw in the gospel, too. People preach the gospel. Hey, Jesus died for your sins. If you say this prayer, you'll go to heaven. What about between now and then? See, what about the gospel today? Are those two things true? Yes. Jesus died for your sins? Yes. Eternity? Yes. There's a lot of space in between there and here. What do we do today? We live the gospel out today, and we live it out in a body. And to, to explore all the fullness, I don't think even eternity, although eternity is great, I don't even think that's the point. It's great. The point is to be in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom now. We participate in the kingdom as a body here, to explore and understand and grow in all the fullness of the gospel today, we need to be in a body. See, we'll have all the fullness then. That's not about this. That's about how do you live and survive today. Remember, he's writing to them, I'm praying for you that you will endure. Here's how you endure. You're knit together locally. You do it together, a body. You're members of one another. Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, like things that sound good, right? For though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. There's lots of plausible arguments that the Colossians are dealing with, but I just want to take one for us today. That you can do this alone. That you don't need the church. That your kids don't need other kids in the church that you can get away with Sunday only and the gospel will flourish in you. We don't live as if we need one another. And the gospel message is very clear. We need one another. That we are to be knit together. That we are to encourage one another. We are to grow with one another. That we are dependent and interdependent on one another because we're different members, different parts. My gifting, not your gifting. Meaning your gifting is different than mine and we need them both. Verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus with Lord, so walk in him. Here's what he's saying, and it's not obvious until a few verses later, so I'm going to catch it right now. In the church in the first century, the most common way that you were welcomed into the church, that you were received as a part of the body, not just a guest, was baptism. We do baptism as a church, right? And we baptize people not only into the faith, but into the local body of the church. 
And that has been going on for thousands of years. First Corinthians says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Only possible in the local church. Again, we can't work with others in different socioeconomic statuses or ethnicities or whatever, especially in these days, without being knit together locally. So we'll start back at verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. You received him in a community, so walk with him in a community. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Right? He's saying you came to faith as a part of a community, not an isolated person. You need to grow in that same community. Or you need to grow in a community. Verse 8, see to it. Then no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Here's a note for you. Our culture believes that being committed to a local church is optional. I don't mean secular culture. I mean our Christian, Western, American church culture today sees belonging and living in a community, a local church, as optional. Paul writes clearly that the body is Christ's plan for your faith and not optional. That this is the plan. That this is how we are made to grow with one another. Verse 9, for in him the whole, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, does Jesus exist in a body like he did 2,000 years ago before he was crucified? No, because he couldn't be... He couldn't hear my prayers here and Mike's prayers at Encounter and DJ's prayers at Imago Day and Pastor PJ's prayers over at Bethany Baptist all at the same time if he was limited like me. But he came to earth in that. Right? How can Christ dwell bodily here? He's talking about the body. That Christ dwells, the fullness of God dwells bodily in us. That does not mean we're not flawed and broken. It does not mean we don't have room to grow. we got lots of room to grow. But he's saying, here's the plan. The gospel is a community, and God dwells within that community, and the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of God dwells within a local body called the church. And the church, like a marriage, where you commit to one body for a, for a long, I, don't, I won't say forever. Sometimes we move out of state, and we just can't do that but not like we church hop today. That you buy in and commit through the hard times, through the great times, through the pandemics, through the highs and lows, whatever it might be, but you're committed. Bless you. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised in him, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's what he's saying. Circumcision was the covenant symbol of entrance into the community in the Old Testament. You can't be circumcised without the shedding of blood. Okay? All of the blood covenant symbols are replaced after Jesus. Right? Jesus' blood satisfied all of them. So baptism is the fulfillment of circumcision. That's what Paul's saying here. They circumcised you into this community... In baptism, they brought you into the community through your baptized into a church, not just into the faith, 
That's what he's talking about. It's becoming a part of a community. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses, sounds familiar, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Without getting into the weeds, I just want you to see this. Look at the plurals. You, plural, were dead in your sins, having forgiven us, plural, all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt against us, plural, right? Note the gospel application in the community. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Talks about the victory achieved in the gospel. Here's an example for you. If you are struggling to achieve victory in an area of life and you cannot seem to get it, here's my question. Are you doing it in community? Or are you struggling through it on your own? Right? There's no 12-step recovery where you just get the, the blue book and you go on your own. Right? There's people. There's a sponsor. There's meetings. There's whatever. It's modeled after the church. You can't just take your Bible and run headlong into life and think you're going to get what God has for you. It's done in community. I'm going to skip down to verse 19. In the middle of six, uh, verses 16 to 18, he gives some examples of distractions in different churches that take away from being a body. And I'm just going to skip down to where he says this in verse 19. And not holding fast to the head. In other words, not holding fast to Jesus. From whom the whole body, the local church, right, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows. In other words, all its parts, all of us, grows with a growth that is from God. We all, I think we all, I hope we all, want the growth God has for us. Yeah? Do you want God to grow you? He's saying, here's the key. You got to do it with one another, right? You got to grow with one another. It's not enough to have a Christian family at home. It's not enough, God bless Valley Christian, it's not enough to go to a Christian school. This is about a local body, the church, right? That we would live out lives in community. That we would do all that, what is 27 or something like that, one another's like, bear with one another in love. Like, bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Right? You can't, you can't forgive one another if you're not close enough to be offended. Right? I can't bear with your burdens if I'm not close enough to know what they are. I can't encourage you if I don't know you, don't see you, don't hang out with you. The church is the one another's, with one another. The image is body. Just go home and think about which body parts. I don't mean you want to lose a couple pounds. I get it, right? You don't really want to give up a liver, a kidney, a portion of your brain, a finger, a foot, a leg, body. You need to look across the room to the people you don't know and realize they're a part of your body, the church. And that you are not the church, you're a member of Christ's body, the church. I'll close with Ephesians. Paul says it this way. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, in other words, the church, and members of the household of God. He uses a different metaphor here. A house. Members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom... The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You can't possibly fulfill that 
with the global church. You are not being knit together, built together with those with whom you don't know. And so I'll say this. You are also not being knit together or built together with those in your own body if you don't know them. That we are called to be a body, a local church. We want to pray for other local churches. We want to play softball against another local church. We want to support them when their pastors need time off. We want to be supported by them. We want to be that. We want to be a collection of bodies. But we will never grow in the gospel and get what God has for us if we do not begin to embrace being a body and members of one another. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You came and gave your physical body to cover and pay for our sins because in our lives we choose to go oftentimes any direction but yours you have called us together to become one to love one another to serve one another to not talk unkindly to and about one another to bear with one another to forgive one another to Encourage one another to continue to gather, as you say in Hebrews. We have to live out the one another's in order to figure this gospel out. Help us to be that body that connects a people that understand we are members of one another, that we need one another, all of the one another's in the room. We need those who have been walking with Jesus for many, many decades to, to teach us and mature us and grow us, lead the way. We need those who are young in their faith who are excited and joyful to remind us of how good you are. We need those who have raised children, those who are grandparents, those who are young and falling in love. We need it all so that we remember how to live this life out in your gospel, your work, your life, death, and resurrection. Help us to become what we are not, a body with one another, Lord. It's in your name we pray.